Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hi there, welcome to this uh, episode of The Inner Life for this Thursday. I'm Josh Raymond, and want to thank those of you who have written in to our email account, innerlife@relevantradio.com, with the different prayer intentions that you have, the different prayer requests. And uh, if you haven't been tuning in this week, well, you might have missed that coming up tomorrow, we're going to start a novena to St. Joseph uh, in nine days from tomorrow. Then it's May 1st, the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker, and St. Joseph is such a powerful intercessor that here on The Inner Life, I thought it'd be good for us to join together as a faith community, kind of that virtual faith community here, and ask St. Joseph to intercede on our behalf and for those things that we need in our lives. So if there's something that you'd like to have included as the intentions we're praying for, of course, you can just join in on your own. But if you'd like me to be able to have those in the intentions that I'm praying for here uh, each day, you can email those to me, innerlife at relevantradio.com. Again, that Email address, very easy, innerlife@relevantradio.com, and we'll pray each uh, day at the beginning of the show here. So I hope you can join me and make that part of the next nine days for yourself as well. And today, I uh, want to ask as we get into the show here, did you grow up hearing that sugar makes kids hyperactive? Maybe you heard this as a kid, or maybe you told it to your own kids. No, you can't have any dessert. Nope, you can't have that piece of candy. There's sugar in it that'll make you run wild through the house. Did you know that that actually is not true? I heard it growing up, but it's not true. Sugar really doesn't make you or your kids extra hyper. Over the past few decades, there have been different studies that have examined the effects of sugar on children's behavior And they looked at the amount of the sugar that was eaten. They compared the effects on kids who had sugar against kids who had been given a placebo. And the studies were done as what's called a double-blind study, where all of the children, the parents, the researchers that were giving out the different uh, foods to the kids, they never knew which kids at the time were given which diets, the sugar or the sugar-free, and that helped to keep the results unbiased. And all of these different studies, they came forward saying there's no real effect that eating sugar it has any impact on children's behavior. Well, I grew up as a kid before those studies were done, and so my mom, she would tell me all the time, nope, you can't have sugar. She was convinced that if I ate sugar, I would, in her words, I'd be bouncing off the walls. And of course, plenty of candy, plenty of sugar made it into my diet as I was growing up, and kids love candy, right? There's there's a reason that kids latch on to some of those fun stories, you know, Willy Wonka, the character with the magical candy factory, candy, chocolate, ice cream, cake, pies, uh, desserts, you know, all those different things. Uh, when you're a kid, just bring them on. You just want to keep eating as much as you're allowed. 
my mom, she would try and limit that sugar intake at different times. And one of those for me was breakfast cereals. I had, that was my regular breakfast growing up. I ate, you know, breakfast uh, cereals before school all growing up. But I was never allowed to have those fun, sugary, colorful cereals when I was young. I didn't get the Fruit Loops. I didn't get the Lucky Charms or the Captain Crunch or some of those. I mean, every once in a while, you know, maybe once every year or once every couple years, one of those boxes would somehow make it in our house. But we really only bought cereals like Rice Krispies or Cheerios or Corn Flakes, things like those. And if I wanted to sweeten them up a little. Uh, When I was six, seven, eight years old, around that age, I was allowed to have one teaspoon of sugar that I could dust over the entire bowl of cereal. And not a rounded teaspoon, mind you. My mom would have me go and use a measuring spoon, and it was supposed to be leveled off. Okay, you can have a little bit of sugar, but not too much. We don't want you bouncing off the walls. But if no one was looking, if I was alone there in the kitchen by myself, I might sneak around a teaspoon or I might go back and get a second scoop of sugar and dump it on the cereal. But if somebody was there in the kitchen in the morning, I had to stick to that one single small little teaspoon of sugar. One morning, though, I remember my dad was sitting there at the kitchen table while I was getting my bowl of cereal and I poured the milk and put the carton back in the fridge and then I got that canister of sugar from the shelf in the kitchen found the measuring spoons and the drawer, and then proceeded to get that one and only teaspoon of sugar that I was allowed. And during that whole process, spooning that sugar over the cereal, I kept looking up at my dad over and over again and again. And it was that kind of look that says, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. If you weren't here, I might take a little more sugar, but you are here, so I'm following the rules. And I didn't say anything out loud. It was, you know, that was just kind of the look that I was giving. Uh, he also, he was sitting there in silence just watching me. And after the sugar was on the cereal, that one teaspoon, I placed the measuring spoons down on the table and I sat down ready to begin eating. But then my dad picked up the spoon and he scooped three more heaping spoonfuls of sugar onto that bowl of cereal that I had there. And my eyes, they went wide and I started to smile. And he just put a finger up to his lips in that silent shh motion, indicating for me to be quiet since my mom was out in the next room. I don't think he wanted to get in trouble, you know, since it was primarily her rule about the sugar on the cereal. So we just were quiet there. But at that moment, he was the hero. He gave me as a child what I wanted, what probably all kids want more than almost anything else in their lives. They want more sugar, right? Uh, Want candy, want sweet things. And now as a father myself, I've had some of those kinds of moments with my own kids, not necessarily regarding candy or sweets or sugar, but, uh, you know, when I bring home something fun and surprise my kids, especially the younger kids, they get so excited. It can be something as simple as getting pizza on a Saturday night. But then I'll have the younger kids and they jump up and they want to give me hugs and I'll be told how I'm the greatest father ever. In the history of all fathers, I'm the greatest. And the kids, they'll start dancing around the kitchen, enjoy over a simple hot pizza that's in a box waiting for them there there on the counter. And I love to see that happiness in the faces of my children. And I have to imagine that my dad, when he was sitting across from me at our kitchen table so many years ago, it brought him that same sort of joy to see the smile of his son, of me in response to that small, simple gesture of his. And it also makes me think of the words in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about how we as parents, if our kids are hungry, he says, if they ask for some bread, well, you wouldn't give them something that they couldn't eat. You wouldn't give them a rock instead. 
He then goes on to say that if we who are sinful, we who are imperfect, if we know how to give good things to our own children, then how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? So today on The Inner Life, we want to examine our relationship with God the Father. We want to look at how that relationship is set up. The first person of the Trinity, God the Father, how great his love is for us and how we can and how we should respond to the Father's love. So how have you experienced that love of God the Father in your own life? When have you had that time where you knew that God was caring for you as his beloved child? Or maybe do you struggle with the concept of a loving father? Is it hard for you to have that image because maybe there have been some past hurts, some past wrongs done by your own father, your biological father, or maybe a stepfather, uh, that father figure in your own life here? Have you been able to move past that pain and have a new understanding of what a father's love really should be? Today we're going to look at all of this with the help of one of our spiritual directors, Father Craig DeYoung. He's a priest in the Diocese of Austin, Texas, pastor of Our Lady of Wisdom University Parish, which uh, serves Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas. Father DeYoung, welcome back to The Inner Life today. So nice to have you here with us again. Thank you so much, Josh. It's great to be here. And what a beautiful story from your your childhood. I I just think that's such a great place to to start today with the Father's love. It's just so good. Well, and as I was giving it thought, too, you know, looking at Scripture, at least from the way that Jesus talks about the role of God the Father, the first place my mind went is to that prodigal son parable that we hear. I think it's in in Luke's Gospel um, that we have that where Jesus tells that story of the son who wants to take his inheritance, goes out, uh, he realizes after he squanders everything that he'd be better off living as a servant in his father's house, but then the father is there waiting for him. And that image of the father who's waiting, watching, watching down the road, um, probably even putting off some things that maybe should be done around the house, but his love for his son is so great that he's watching and looking and doesn't just simply wait for the son to come to the house. He runs out to meet him. So we have that image of the father. Um, it's such a, such a powerful image there with that parable of the prodigal son. I agree. It's, it's, it's even more powerful in that it's Jesus who is telling us it's a story. I mean, it, it is the Lord who is revealing the heart of the Father, that he is the one who knows the Father, and he's making him known to us. And we see in this beautiful story the Father who is um, loving the Son from afar, loving the Son even while he's in a far distant land. He's sort of, you can almost see him pacing back and forth and, and looking and waiting for his Son's return. Um, and the way he greets him is just with an abundance of love and, and uh, overflowing of his heart uh, to welcome his son who is dead uh, back to life into the, the home of the family. And, uh, you know, I, it, it's really beautiful because it reminds me, my own childhood um, has has uh, not always been um, as ideal as, as maybe we would like. And my parents divorced when I was young and, and I would travel back and forth between my parents' houses and uh, my dad had moved back to Michigan at one point, and I was visiting him, and I was um, flying home after a great visit with my dad and my, some of my siblings. And he was at the airport, and he would come with us to the gate back when we could do that. And uh, he would sit there at the gate watching the plane come out of the driveway, um, out of the runway. And uh, I could just see him as I'm looking out my plane window, just waving at me, and um, just I could see the love that he had for his kids. And I sort of connect that imagery of my own father and the love that he had for us 
um, as, uh, as, as his children with that imagery of the prodigal son, I can just sort of see my dad pacing back and forth and uh, just the way that he's just so eager to love us and to show that he loved us. Um, and he's just such a great job with that. Yeah, you know, you you mentioned not having that ideal growing up um, with your father, and one of the reasons that I told this story is because it's one of the few stories I have of my own father. Uh, my father passed away when I was nine years old, and so for most of my adolescence then, I grew up without that father figure in the house. Um, so for a lot of us, I think there are a lot of people of my generation, your generation, that have grown up in homes where that father figure, you know, it's not what it maybe was a generation or two before then, you know, with the, uh, you know, the idyllic home of Leave It to Beaver or Father Knows Best or the Donna Reed Show or, you know, some of those where it's that perfect nuclear family that's shown there. And the father has that kind of gentle leadership role in those families. A lot of us grew up without that. And so it really, I think it has the opportunity to warp to a greater degree, our understanding or our lack of understanding, maybe, of what that role of a father should be. Right. Our parents are often the first image um, or impression we have of God and his love. And sometimes when, when those things are not idyllic, you know, your, your image of, of God is somewhat distorted and you have to sort of unlearn some things you learned and sort of um, consider the good that was there and even amplify it to consider that God loves in that way and even more than that. Um, and so you have sort of this um, work that takes place in our lives um, to maybe heal from some various traumas and allow God to have the word, um, to sort of say to us who he is and who we are in relationship to him as his beloved sons and daughters, that um, the Father reveals his heart in, in his son, Jesus Christ. And and in Jesus and through his love and the way he loves, we, we begin to understand who the Father truly is. And, yeah, we have to work through some of those distortions we have to come to see God as he is uh, rather than what maybe some of our experience has told us and, and the way the enemy takes advantage of those moments to lie to us all the more, to, to leverage the pain and the hurt of those experiences sometimes uh, to separate us from God, um, to help us, uh, you know, he really tries to get us to buy the lie that God doesn't care about us, that he's not a good father, he's far away or distant or punishing. Yeah, and as we're looking at this, you know, you talk about God, the Father being revealed in the way that Jesus communicates him. Where else can we look in the scriptures, in what Jesus says, or maybe in some of the things that we read from um, the apostles as they're writing the rest of the New Testament letters um, that, that we can go through. Where else can we look and see this image of God the Father? So that if we do have this kind of misshapen idea of fatherhood, we can get a correct idea of fatherhood. Well, two things come to mind. One is how Jesus is always talking about his father. He's always talking about his Abba, right, his daddy. And he, uh, one talks about that when he's asked, uh, how should we pray? And he talks about uh, praying the Our Father, and this is how we should call God, should refer to him as a father. Um, and that's somewhat scandalous, you know, in, in a certain sense, because to call God your father is to claim a certain sort of equality with him. Um, uh, a sort of sameness, that, uh, that the Son has a special place in the, the household of God. And so to have that sort of filial relationship with him is a, a big deal. And so that's kind of one place we can start to sort of maybe gain some insight. 
But my favorite place is uh, John's Gospel as a whole, but then specifically um, chapters 14 through 17, because this is the place where um, Jesus really reveals his heart, the purpose that he's come. And there's a specific place in there where uh, he's talking to the apostles, um, and he says, I'm going to, you know, essentially, I'm, I've revealed the Father to you. And, and Philip asks him, well, yeah, review, tell us who the Father is. That's, that would be enough for us, right? And, uh, you know, he says, Philip, Philip said to the Lord, show us the Father, and we shall be satisfied. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And he goes on more there. Um, but what we, we see here is this equality that Jesus has with the Father, Obviously, as the second person of the Trinity, you know, and in his humanity, he, he makes, um, instead of a primordial sacrament, a sacrament of the highest order, the divinity of God, the fatherhood of God present in his life, death, and resurrection. And so as we read the scriptures around this, and we see the loving action of Jesus Christ when he heals, when he casts out demons, when he reconciles by forgiveness of sins, uh, when he gives us his body, blood, um, as food and drink, when he passes his mother on the cross to us, all of that is the love the Father has for us, because Jesus tells us that um, he does nothing apart from the Father, and all that he has done is what he has learned from the Father. Uh, and so as I read John's Gospel and I read the words that he talks about, it helps sort of solidify um, this imagery and this, this truth about who the Father is um, as a loving God, as a God who wills our good. Our spiritual director today is Father Craig DeYoung, a priest in the Diocese of Austin, Texas. We're talking about God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, and how he loves each one of us. And how have you experienced that love of God the Father in your own life? Where has been that time that you knew God was caring for you as his beloved child? Or do you struggle with that concept of a father? Has there been something that's happened in your life growing up where maybe that father figure was missing or there was an abusive relationship and it's hard for you to be able to look past that and understand in a true and beautiful, pure sense what God the Father's love is for each one of us? How have you been able to move past that, that pain, and get that new understanding of what a father's love should be? You can give us a call and share your experience on growing closer to God the Father. The studio line is open, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, or you can email innerlife at relevantradio.com. We'll be back with more here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life spiritual directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond along with Father Craig DeYoung, a priest in the Austin Diocese. And we're talking about the role of God the Father in our lives, that love that He has for us. 
and how we can better understand that, how we can respond to it. And you can call, as you just heard the number given out there, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. want to say thank you to Jim Shaper and Patrick Alog, who are running everything behind the scenes here. Thanks for their help. And uh, Father Craig, as we were talking before the break, um, you know, we were looking at how Jesus reveals God the Father, uh, the Father's heart, that Jesus is anything that he does is on the behalf of the Father. But I think it's a pretty easy thing for us to have this idea, this common notion, it seems to be out there, that God is this ominous figure. He's just waiting and watching for us to slip up somehow, to mess up, to do something wrong, and he's ready to dole out punishment immediately. Uh, Why do you think we have this warped but kind of persisting view, you know, something that I've heard again and again, and I know I've had it myself at different points where, uh (laughs) uh-oh, I I maybe shouldn't have done that. Is God watching? Is he going to zap me here? Why do we have that kind of uh, uh, image of God in our minds? You know, I'm thinking about maybe how a kid experiences, you know, their parents growing up. And when you're young, you know, the way that they, you know, your parents sort of correct your behavior is, uh, you know, some sort of um, sometimes maybe a physical discipline or a timeout. And so you're you're sort of afraid of getting caught, afraid of of the punishment that comes with it. Um, And I think, you know, then as you mature, as you get older, you begin to see the mind and the heart behind your parents, why they do the things they do. And and you begin to see the loving action and sort of that corrective behavior to form and shape you to become the best man or woman that you can become. And I think we sometimes get stuck in sort of um, a spiritual uh, childhood or adolescence where we haven't really come to know the heart of our father, uh, the mind of our father, and that the actions that he is doing um, are ones of love that, that you know, as, as um, we've heard before, that the Father chastises or disciplines, which means teaches the ones whom he loves, that he gives us that behavior uh, to form us, that we would become, you know, uh, the best version of ourselves. Um, and so I think sometimes we, we don't look deeper. We don't, we don't look at, at the why uh, behind uh, God's actions and, and who he is, really, because, I mean, we, we, we discover in, in God as we come to know him that he doesn't do things sort of selfishly or for his own gain. He doesn't have need in that way. He's perfectly content as a family of persons from all eternity and an eternal exchange of love. And so he loves us for our own sake, for our own good. And so when he acts towards us, it's always, always uh, because of love. And yet, I think sometimes when we don't think deeper and we just um, think of of sort of the feeling that we have of maybe uh, shame or guilt or sadness or the hardness of of the discipline, that we begin to think that it's sort of like us, like in our own sort of mindset at times, maybe a little spiteful or resentful or just trying to get you the aha sort of moments. Um, and, and, you know, growing in spiritual maturity begin, means beginning to look beyond that, uh, to see the heart and the mind of, of God and his loving action. Yeah, and you mentioned, uh, you know, that God chastens or chastises. He corrects those whom he loves. And I know that that's uh, in one of the Psalms, and I, I remember reading in the letter to the Hebrews where uh, there's that quoted there, and the author goes on then to say that at the time when you're receiving that correction, that discipline, it's not fun, but that it leads to joy and peace and righteousness after when you can look back on it. 
Um, it also made me think of, I, I remember hearing years ago, and I'd never thought of it before hearing this. I, I wish I could remember who, who said it um, to give them credit for it. But hearing someone talk about Psalm 23, that very famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm-hmm. And during that, uh, as it's talking about, you know, he makes me lay down in green pastures, leads me bu- beside the still waters, you know, uh, everything is taken care of for me. The Lord is my shepherd. But there's also that line in there about how the rod and the staff, your rod and the, your staff, they comfort me. But the rod and the staff are those two items that correct us. They, uh, they're meant to kind of nudge us or hit us or pull us back onto the correct path. And that these two uh, means of being corrected are a comfort to the psalmist. I think it's so important to look at that difference and that distinction between just out-and-out punishment versus discipline or correction. Going back to what you said, you know, that these are done because the Father loves us, wants the best for us. That's so right. I think, you know, if, if, I think it's pretty, I guess, fairly common sense, maybe, that if we if we look at sort of a child who has never been disciplined and has been given sort of everything they want, um, what sort of man or woman they typically sort of grow up into, um, is that the sort of man or woman that you would like your kids to be, or yourself for that matter? Um, and yet, when there is uh, a sort of discipline, a shaping, like a molding, um, uh, through the various disciplines, you get to see your kids become um, sort of good, responsible, loving uh, adult uh, persons. And I, I think, um, you know, it is a comfort. I, I think I've heard so many times from people how uh, when I've had conversations about the childhood and they say, you oh, know, my parents did these things. And, uh, you know, I, I remember those kind of jokingly and I, you know, sort of feared the chancla, which is, you know, like the, the sandal and, and uh, Latino culture, you know, and uh, it's, I'll say, but, but it shaped me. I, I, I now today am a responsible person because I, I knew there were consequences for my actions and they're grateful often to their parents. Um, when they see the loving action behind it, that, um, you know, when there were consequences for that bad behavior, they learned, um, you know, as a child to behave. And and it is a cause for rejoicing. It is a comfort. And I'm grateful for, um, you know, the ways of discipline that my parents gave me. Um, and it was from a loving heart. And I think sometimes when parents ask me, you know, um, for counsel on this, I, I would I would say to them something along the lines of, um, to really examine their own hearts to make sure it's not from a place of anger when they discipline their kids, but from a place of love. And I think in that, then, um, you know, that kind of helps with the discipline aspect of it. And we can see, too, I think, a glimpse of the Father's love in that, because it is a, a loving heart that disciplines, not a, an angry, wrathful heart uh, that punishes. Right. And I was also thinking, you know, I've heard kind of thrown out there again and again, over the years of people who will make a critique of the Bible saying, well, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God is seen as this kind of vengeful, hard-lined kind of God, much different from the loving Father that Jesus and the apostles talk about in the New Testament. And at times, it can seem like that if you just look at selected moments or selected passages, selected stories in the Old Testament, but I also think of where um, I think it's Abraham who's having the conversation with God about God wants to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he keeps on kind of having this negotiation back and forth where God says, no, you know, there's, there's really no one righteous there. 
and Abraham, and I forget what number he starts at, if it's 100 or if it's 50, or but he basically, I think he whittles it down to, if there's just 10 righteous people, will you spare the town? And God, uh, he says, yes, if there's just 10 righteous people, I'll spare Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and I think even that, even with kind of the the dire consequences that happen for those two cities, the fact that God is willing to just wait and have that kind of, yes, I will, I'll concede on this because I love you and I know that you're looking out for other people. We get a little bit of that glimpse of God the Father and his love in the Old Testament, but it's more fully revealed with Jesus. Yes, there's so many examples in the Old Testament of of God as a loving God, and it's something that I think perhaps we miss sometimes when we don't know the culture in which the time, um, the scriptures or the stories uh, were written or or shared, and how that action would have been very apparent in in how God was loving his chosen people um, and the relationship he had through the covenants with them. I think, too, we've alluded a little bit to maybe uh, the answer to this this problem as well as sort of um, when you're kids, you know, you experience your, your parents in one way, and then as an adult, you experience them perhaps in another way. And a good father teaches his son or daughter in the way that a child can receive it. And when you're young, that's primarily through a bit of physical discipline, a spanking or something of that sort, um, or a timeout or, or something along those lines. But as the child matures, um, he teaches and reveals himself in other ways, more mature ways. And I think this is the story of salvation history, that God teaches us in the way that we can receive in various times and places and circumstances. Uh, And yet as we sort of mature in that relationship with God, um, he comes in the fullness of ways and reveals the fullness of his heart um, as we can come to know his love uh, most fully in the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're talking with our spiritual director today, Father Craig DeYoung. He's a priest in the Diocese of Austin, Texas, talking about God the Father and his love for each one of us. How have you experienced that love of God the Father in your own life? When have you had that time where you knew that God was caring for you as his beloved child? Do you struggle with that idea of a father, of a loving father, because of maybe something that happened in your own life? Maybe your father was absent. Maybe uh, you had an abusive relationship there uh, from your father. How have you been able to move past those hurts, those pains, the, just that baggage, and be able to look at God the Father and say, even though I didn't have it in my own life, I'm having a better understanding of what a truly loving father should be. You can call and share your story with us, 888-914-9149. And Father, we've got Brian, who's listening in Sacramento. Brian, welcome to The Inner Life today. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. So my dad died when I was almost 24. I wasn't quite out of the house. And uh, I wasn't Catholic yet. <clears throat> I didn't become Catholic until I was 40. <laughs> so <clears throat> having kids myself was, oh, it just brought back a lot of memories of my dad. And then becoming Catholic, it's almost like he guided me to become Catholic being gone. It's really bizarre. Just a strange story. Hello, hey, Brian. Thank you for sh- sharing that. Are you you still there? 
Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, I was just going to ask, you know, um, how have you come to see the Father's love for you through that experience? I mean, I'm, I know that there's such a pain in that sort of the absence when a, a loved one passes, your dad passes away. Um, have you come to see now that absence even more clearly the Father's love for you as a son? Well, you know, the thing is, is that my dad adopted me when I was little. And then I found my biological dad uh, later on. He had passed away, and I didn't know about him. Um, so my experience with dads, my adopted dad was great. Great home life, very loving. You know, he had anger issues, but, you know, I, it's not something I could resolve when he was alive. But then becoming Catholic helped me understand with his role and my role with my kids and so on and so forth. So That's it was almost Brian, like um, you that more deeply. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I think I shared a little bit earlier too, that I suffered um, just sort of some of the pains of, of um, wounds of, of childhood. I, I found that a great model for, for me in the spiritual life of understanding how to be a spiritual father now as a priest um, even at times when my, my father was um, was not a perfect father, has been St. Joseph. I mean, this is the year of St. Joseph, and I've learned so much uh, through the consecration to him and, and reflecting upon his life and how to love my spiritual children. I might just offer that to, to you as a, another way of maybe deepening and continuing your, your Catholic journey. Yeah, yeah he's uh, he's in my prayer when I do a prayer to the saints, I usually just do a quick, you know, like kind of burst prayer and say the different saints that I know. And St. Joseph has always been the person that I've, I've, I've prayed to. That's beautiful. Yeah, th that is. Thank you for sharing that, Brian, and calling in today. And uh, if you didn't hear me mention it earlier, uh, here on The Inner Life, starting tomorrow, we're going to be praying a novena to St. Joseph leading up to May 1st. That's the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. And so uh, we'll make sure that we include you and um, just as you're, you're looking at being a father yourself, um, uh, some of the pain that we can hear in your voice there, um, just for some healing. So I'll, I'll make sure that you're one of those intentions that we pray for over the next nine days. And if you're listening right now and you have an intention you'd like prayed for, um, I'll keep your intentions uh, confidential. I won't share them on the air, but you can go ahead and email those to me, innerlife at relevantradio.com. And again, we'll start uh, each show over the next nine days with a prayer to St. Joseph for this novena. Uh, we are talking about the love of God the Father for each one of us, and how have you experienced that in your own life? How have you been able to experience God the Father and his love, his care for you as his beloved child? You can share your experience. 888-914-9149 is our studio line. 888-914-9149. We'll be back with more of your calls right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Inner Life Show or email us relevantradio.com. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. 
Welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Craig DeYoung. He's a priest in the Diocese of Austin, Texas, pastor of Our Lady of Wisdom University Parish, which serves Texas State University there in San Marcos, Texas. And we're talking about the love of God the Father that he has for each one of us as his children. And we're taking your calls at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You can email innerlife at relevantradio.com. And Father, let's go back to the phones. We've got Stephen, who's listening out in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Hi, Stephen. Welcome to The Inner Life today. Hello, Josh. Hello, Father. Thanks for having me on the program. Yeah, go ahead. How have you experienced that love of God the Father in your life? So I grew up with a single mother and a sister in Section 8 housing, and I did not know my father. Eventually, when I was 20 years old, I did meet him and. uh it was quick that I realized, you know, why he had a lot of issues with uh, different things, drinking, and I have four brothers, actually, that I met through him um, that all have a lot of similar issues as him, but, um, and I grew up with, oh, God, I didn't go to church or mass or anything like that. I never read the Bible, and uh, actually, when I was 23 years old, um, I had a vision, which was very similar. I found out about a year later to the vision that John had in Revelation where he saw Jesus and his, he said his eyes glowed red like flames of fire. He put his right hand on him said, I'm the Lord. All those same things I saw exactly, but backwards, I was a little backwards from John. John was more humble. I was more proud, but, um, and that was kind of the beginning of, of, uh, me coming to believe. And, uh, I had two more visions. My second one was, uh, reading about Stephen and Acts and he was pulled up into heaven. I had the same kind of vision where I saw Jesus on the right hand side of God. And then my last vision was actually when I was living in Krakow, Poland. Uh, I, uh, I found out, uh, three months after the vision that St. Faustina, the same person that draws, uh, drew the divine mercy, uh, had the similar vision that I had of Jesus coming. Um, in the sky. And so these three visions really stapled my faith for me uh, since I was 23. I'm now 36 years old, and I've had a relationship of a lot of ups and downs uh, with the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And um, through it all, I mean, I've felt so much love. So many times I've cried just so many tears that I've been holding back my whole life, not understanding a relationship with a man such as a father figure. And and, uh, you know, he got me through so many things. I had stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when I was 26. Um, sadly, I suffered a uh, really bad divorce, lost my kids, all kinds of things that if I didn't have uh, that love of the Father with me, um, I, I feel like I would have been broken. And, I, and truly, I don't know how anybody can go through a lot of things in this life without that, that beautiful relationship that God gives us through His Son and knowing Him through Jesus and having that, that special relationship with the Father loving us. That's an incredible story, Stephen. Just hearing that, I just have a sense of comfort. You know, the, Father, uh, the Father's love gives us a certain freedom that restores us, and it takes what is a mess and, and, and not okay in our lives, and it gives us a freedom to truly become um, who we're meant to be, to become ourselves. Uh, and the Father's love sort of gives us the gift um, of becoming who we are. Uh, and who we're meant to be, and I can hear that in your voice, that you, you've been through a lot, and uh, I can see you sort of becoming the man uh, that you, you want to be, uh, slowly but surely, or even leaps and bounds at times. That's amazing. Yeah, Stephen, yeah, been... go ahead, Stephen, I'm sorry, go ahead. 
I was going to say it's been a really amazing journey, and I my you know, uh, growing up without a father, you kind of don't have a sense of identity. Like who who am I? Who do I want to be? What do I want to become? And and knowing God and knowing the Father and knowing Jesus, it's very clear. Like my whole heart is in spreading the good news and letting people come to know Jesus and the love that He has for them, and let them obviously know the Father and know the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit come upon them. That's a beautiful story, Stephen. Thanks for calling in today. Yeah, and uh, Father, as I'm listening to Stephen there, um, even with, as he's describing some of these moments where he's had those uh, private uh, encounters with God in one way or another, um, even that just makes me think, you know, sometimes God knows that we need those moments, and uh, there's that famous movie, The Matrix, and Neo goes in and he meets uh, this, this woman who is baking cookies in her kitchen, and she ends up giving him a little bit of knowledge of what's to come or what's not to come. And she, Neo, the main character, he walks out, and uh, his friend Morpheus, who's kind of this role model father figure for him, Neo's about to say, well, she said, and right at that moment, Morpheus stops and says, what she said was just for you and for you alone. Just take it and 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 use it for yourself. And sometimes that's where God comes to us and he says, here, this is just a little, I'm just going to give you this because I love you. You know, it goes back to kind of what I said before where Jesus says, if we who are sinful, who are imperfect, we know how to give good things to our children. How much more will our Heavenly Father give good things to us when we ask him? That's such a, a excellent example. And I just think about the gift that God gives and how there are so many unique ways that he does that in, in various people's lives. And yet, um, the last thing that Stephen said that really struck me is that identity. Like often what happens through the giving of those gifts is we understand, um, as we come to know the Father, we come to know truly also ourselves of, of our identity before God, and that changes everything. Um you know, and uh, it is so beautiful, the, the varied and, and wonderful ways that the Father shows his love to people um, just in their lives. Father, we've got Cecilia, who's calling from Uvalde, Texas. Hi, Cecilia. Welcome to the program today. Hi. Um, yeah, I wanted to um, just talk about how important fathers are to daughters as well. I grew up with my father. I mean, he was he was an he was an alcoholic, and he wasn't really in my life. My parents were divorced when I was two, and I often say, you know, girls do seek a man just like their father, and um, I unfortunately ended up marrying a man that the same addictions, alcohol, things like that, and um, I did have two boys, and they didn't grow up with that actual, you know, that firm father figure that they should have with the, you know, with God placed in our home first and foremost. Um, but when I did divorce and I'm um, separated, I found Christ. And then I, I started thinking about what, what kind of man would I would like in my life or how would I want my family modeled after. And I, I found the Holy family and in the Holy family, I started gravitating closer and closer to St. Joseph. I consecrated myself to St. Joseph as well as my boys and, that is exactly, to me, is, is what a man in our, in our earthly lives should be, the protector, the leader, a faithful follower of God, a hard worker. And, and there I found my father. There I found the family. There I found love you know, with, with Christ and St. Joseph, showing me what a good role model of a man should be for a young girl. 
Cecilia, that is such a beautiful and excellent point. I'm so glad you brought it up. Um, you know, I, I, I think uh, Josh has sort of said that I'm, I work with college students, and I have so many spiritual daughters here that uh, come to college and have had sort of similar experiences to that. And uh, watching them come to know the love of the Father and to know um, who He is uh, shapes them not only in their identity as beloved daughters, beautiful daughters of God, but also their discernment of vocations. They understand more of, of maybe perhaps, um, you know, the type of husband that they might be called to or, um, you know, their own sort of uh, understanding of, of, you know, what, what um, a man ought to be in relationship to a woman in that beautiful way. So thank you for bringing that up, Cecilia. That's a, it's a great insight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Father... As we're getting towards the end of the hour here, um, I thought it might be good kind of picking up on what Cecilia is saying here, too. Maybe we could look at both the roles of men and women, of of fathers and mothers, and how God the Father, that relationship, that love, that example, um, how that should shape us. So let's, let's start with fathers. For men that are listening, how should they conduct themselves as fathers in their own families, looking at that example of God the Father? Yeah, I think one of the keys here is the sacrificial love um, that, um, I, I, I mean, there's so much here, I don't even know where to begin, Josh. But I, I, I know, and we've only me. got about four minutes, but yeah. you can get it all in, Father. Sure. <laughs> well, we'll try it then. I'll, get, I'll uh, give you right. a little example, maybe that can illustrate both. I, I was thinking about, you know, um, parents, mom and a dad, being at a playground with their, with their son or their daughter. And I was thinking about the kid running around and playing and um, kind of falling down and getting hurt. And I was thinking about, um, you know, the kid coming running over and the ways that um, the father and the mother might respond to that Um, and how the mother has this beautiful gift of nurturing and and are you okay and and kissing it and and making it better. And then the father um, does maybe something similar, but then he says, okay, go get him, tiger, right? And sends them back out um, to know to keep playing and sort of, um, you know, uh, loves that kid in a way that propels them, um, maybe even with some, some sort of small risk in, in, a, in a sense, um, that, that there's like this nurturing love of a mother and then there's this generative love of a father. And I think those are some very uh, key aspects of, of being a father or a mother for a child, um, is that there's this nurturing element that's such a gift that um, our ladies have uh, as mothers uh, and then there's this generative gift that fathers have. And I think that's one of the key aspects of being a father is that we generate in our kids. We sort of stir up in them um, the sense that they have what it takes, right, to do something and to go sort of beyond uh, where they're at to, to achieve something greater. Um, and all of this, I think, is made possible by the mutual sacrifice of fathers and mothers, that, that they really um, give a sacrifice of love to one another and uh, to their children um, and I think that's just my starting point for maybe a conversation. Maybe you have some insight there too, Josh. Well, I think that, you know, you talking about having that sacrificial love within the relationship of the husband and wife, that marital bond there, um, that goes back to what St. Paul talks about, you know, um, where he, he says, offer yourselves up, husbands, as Christ offered himself up for the church. And so I think for at least me as a husband, am I willing to go and give my very life for my wife? 
And I might say it in words, but will I live that out day in and day out? You know, is that, is that something that I'm willing to do? And if I'm not, if I say, well, I could say the words, but I'm not willing to live it out by, by my actions, I need to really re-examine what am I holding back there? Why am I not willing to do that for my wife? Right. And it is that sacrifice precisely that, that sanctifies, that makes holy, um, that as that love washes not only over us from the Father and receiving it, but then through us uh, to each other, um, by cooperating with that love, by, by choosing the sacrifice for the other, uh, we are made holy. And then those whom we love um, and receiving that love um, are made holy. Uh, and it perfects. It begins to bring us to the perfection that God desires for us, which is such a beautiful gift. Right. And then there's that that line, and I, you might have kind of uh, said something similar to this earlier in the hour, but at least as we're talking here about uh, husbands and wives and their relationship and how that impacts their roles as mother and father, um, you know, there's that line about uh, the best thing that a father can do for his kids is to love their mother and to show that example, yeah. to live that out. That's really beautiful because it is the sacrament of marriage from which uh, children, you know, um, typically come, right? And so um, that is exactly right. By loving one another as you're called to love, the love sort of overflows from you into your children. And um, I think sometimes we... Um, you know, I've, I've sort of seen maybe people neglect their marital relationship um, for the sake of their kids. And, um, you know, things sort of, there's an effect there and things sort of go, go wrong in different ways. And, and you have to sort of reorient to point back towards one another to realize that that's the priority. And uh, from that love, um, you know, the children experience that love um, of their parents. Yeah, you're absolutely right there, Josh. I yeah, think it actually, it makes me think about, to. Uh, there was this Christian counselor that I knew, and I don't, I don't remember all the details, but she ended up having, there was like equestrian therapy. And I know that sounds kind of weird, maybe if you've never heard of that before, but where horses would actually be involved in the therapy. And one of the things I remember was she talked about how there was this husband and wife that were having difficulties in their, in their marriage. And the, the, the counselor had them stand there next to the horse and they were there with their child, their son or daughter or whoever it was, a teenager. And the horse came along and just kind of nudged with its nose that uh, child out from in between the husband and wife so the husband and wife could be more united and I thought it was just so interesting that even you know this this creature this animal could see that you need to be together as a husband and wife and that will help your relationship and therefore help your child Father Craig we're down to the last about 20 seconds here can I ask you to give all of our listeners a final blessing as we wrap up the show of course in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen, Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to show forth your grace and your love upon the hearts of all your beloved children, sons and daughters alike. May they know you who are all good and all loving. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father Craig DeYoung. He's a priest in the Diocese of Austin, Texas, and our spiritual director today. And I want to encourage you again, if you haven't been listening, if you're just hearing now, starting tomorrow, we're going to be praying a novena to St. Joseph. You can email your prayer intentions to innerlife at relevantradio.com. Of course, stay tuned. We've got Mass coming up next right now here on Relevant Radio.